Hello and welcome. This is FinTech Impact, and I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Wade Fowl and Alex Merguia, co-founders of Risa. Risa is an online questionnaire and tool for helping determine what an individual's retirement style is like, and specifically helping advisors steer them toward the type of retirement solutions that help basically ensure that they are both that they succeed but also that they are comfortable and their preferences on how they wish to retire or how they wish their income to be generated in retirement comes about. And with that, here's my interview with Alex and Wade. Alex, Wade, thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks for having us on the show, Jason. Absolute yes, pleasure. So gentlemen, tell me about Risa. Sure. Yeah, I, I can start with that. So my background with retirement income planning, and I've been at the American College of Financial Services with the RACP designation really needing to be agnostic about retirement, but also just recognizing retirement income is a new field in financial services. It's, it's now about 20 years old, but it really comes from this idea that the risk that people face in retirement is different from pre-retirement with the sequence of returns risk and market returns, the longevity risk, the different types of spending shocks. So you really have to think about retirement differently and there are a lot of different viable approaches people can use to building a retirement income strategy, but we haven't really ever had a way to help guide people or help them understand which, which is the appropriate starting point for their own retirement. Are they someone who's comfortable with just an investment portfolio? Are they someone who might want to consider using an annuity? Are they someone who might kind of resonate with the, the bucketing approach where you just invest differently based on the time horizon? And so the RISA, the Retirement Income Style Awareness, is a questionnaire Alex and I developed, and Alex has his PhD in psychology. I'm from economics, really merging kind of that behavioral side with the financial planning side to see if we could understand which sort of factors can help explain how people think about retirement so that they have a starting point. That When I'm getting to the point where retirement's on the horizon and I'm not sure what to do to convert my savings into retirement income, the RISA is a starting point to have that conversation with that potential client or prospect for an advisor, or whether that individual is just taking it on their own to think, okay, well, of all these different viable retirement strategies that are out there, I hear a lot of debate. I don't know which way to go. This is an approach that seems to resonate with me that I, I can consider as the starting point for my retirement. Excellent. So before we dive into how that works and the different things you mentioned and, and uh, how you go about it. Let's talk about uh, the history of Risa. So, or Risa, let's talk about the history of Risa. Sure. Yeah. And as, as Wade was saying, it, it's, this is effectively like the disc or the Colby for retirement income planning. You know, it's really trying to determine how you want to source retirement income. It all started with a question that Wade and I got tired of answering in a very poor manner. And the answer that Wade and I were always answering uh, was, it depends. We have, uh, McLean, we're, we're managing principles of McLean Asset Management, which is a traditional wealth management firm. In addition, we have a non-asset-based RIA called Retirement Researcher, which was Wade's blog that we turned into an educational membership site. And there, a lot of folks were just asking us questions. Should I do this? Should I do that? But there were very detailed financial planning questions. And we we're not of the school of thought that we're going to give a most common denominator answer in terms of, yes, you should do this because uh, I say so kind of thing. And reality is that uh, we answered a lot of these questions with just, it depends on such and such, such and such. And then after a while, you, you get tired of answering these very, you get tired of producing these very detailed answers simply because you can't scale your, your time, right? I'd, we'd spend all 24 hours just answering those questions. And so Wade and I looked at each other and thought, 
what do all these things depend on? So we can answer it in a way that's satisfying for us and satisfying for uh, the person asking that question. And really, that's how it began. We, we then started just scouring the literature for, okay, what, what, could, what could these retirement income questions depend on that had nothing to do with a number, you know, that we point them in the right direction. And uh, upon reading the literature, luckily it was only new. It's been a new science. It hasn't been anything that's been around for a thousand years. So we, it's, it was a manageable task to some extent, especially with COVID. After reading a certain amount and collecting notes, we realized that there were certain constructs that seemed to be reoccurring motifs, if you will, within the literature. And so we took these reoccurring constructs and then we asked ourselves, could we uh, quantify them in a manner that was reliable and in a manner that uh, was valid? And that set us off on our journey. It really started off as trying to answer the it depends questions. And then from there, we also thought, hey, this would be a cool little lead magnet. If we could sort of figure out where we could direct somebody to uh, find out more about how they could further their retirement income research in a manner that resonates with them. But that really is it. it. It was a simple question that we started pulling the thread on. And here we are. We created effectively, a, you know, Joseph's magic technicolor code, it seems, <laughs> so far. Excellent. So, yeah, it depends. May as well be branded on my forehead. I say it so bloody often. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I get where you're coming from. I mean, there was a, an opportunity to create a systemized approach towards kind of getting the initial starting point around the conversation on this going. And there's, a, as we both, as we all know, there's a lot of rhetoric around what's right, quote unquote, in air quotes, and wrong in this space, a new <laughs> a hot button issue and the term evil being used in conjunction by certain TV panelists, where I just, my analogy is always like a hammer is either used to build something or to smash someone's skull. Like at the end of the day, it's a tool, right? Like tools are not evil. Your use of them is good or bad, depending on the person we're dealing with. And frankly, to blanket that, it's not looking at what, you know, something you mentioned, which is preference, right? Like, we all have different risk tolerances. We all have different preferences for, for security. So try and do, I find too often advisors get locked into one solution or this is how I tackle this as opposed to that client doesn't really fit that, right? Like I'm not a big fan of bucketing, but for some clients, like yeah. visualizing and understanding that might be the difference between them panicking and being comfortable. Wait. Yeah, that, and that's absolutely right. It's really... Any of these strategies can work if they resonate and if you stick with the plan, but any of the strategies won't work if it really doesn't resonate with the individual. And that's where an advisor who just focuses on one methodology and tries to put everyone into that one strategy, well, the RISA may not be the best fit for them because it's really more about being open to the idea that we have to find the appropriate strategy for each individual client. And, and so something like bucketing, yeah, I too, I'd, like with the math of it, it's not necessarily a better way to invest for a purely rational investor. But if it does resonate with that behavioral story that if I have bonds covering the next five years of expenses, I don't have to worry about a dip in the stock market. If that resonates with an individual and helps them stick with their strategy, then it does become <laughs> a better strategy for them. And that's really what the Reese is about is trying to get people just started in the direction of finding, well, I mean, whenever an advocate of a strategy talks about it, they make it sound great. <laughs> so you, I, my worry is people just end up randomly in a strategy based on whatever they heard about. Like if you turn on the car radio and you're listening to the different radio stations that have local financial advisors on them, which commercials are you hearing? Are you hearing the I hate annuities and so should you? Or are you hearing about how index annuities solve every problem under the sun? And you just may fall into a strategy based on whichever one you heard about. And the RISA lets people take a step back from that and just evaluate 
no, there are different strategies. I may, as a consumer, not have known that there are different strategies, but there are. And, and here's the strategy that looks like it does fit best with my own psychological considerations and makeup and so forth. Excellent. All right. So let's talk about the actual experience of using the recess. So I basically have a client that I want to use this with. What does the experience look like from the client side? Effectively, uh, if somebody wants to take this, uh, you're an advisor, you get on the site, the RESA site, uh, you, you create, there's a, there's a few questions. There's a main RESA qu- subset questions that can determine your style and that can be done in 12 questions. And so you can select that grouping. And there's other things that we have, such as uh, retirement income concerns. We created scales around those, longevity, lifestyle, legacy, liquidity. And uh, we also have uh, an implementation matrix, which is how you prefer to implement financial advice. And these are these personas that we all read about in these weekly magazines, such as, you know, is this person a validator, collaborator, delegator, or self-directed, right? We kind of do those three, but you can just do the reset. So, and you create your questionnaire around that. You call it the Jason special, whatever it is you want. Uh, that's that's the battery. The, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone is, everyone is. <laughs> and so then uh, you create a link. It creates a link for you. You send the link to your prospect or client, or you have it on a website, a landing page that you have that link there, or you're, you're doing a webinar and you have, a, you have it on a PowerPoint, what, what have you. Uh, the client prospect clicks the link and it registers them and they're on their way. And there it is. At the end of finishing the, the battery, the prospect, if the advisor chooses to, they can see the results as soon as they finish. When you mm-hmm. took it, Jason, I, we, we gave you permission to see it as soon as you finish, right? Sometimes you want the, the art of the, you know, you want, the, you want to bring them in for a meeting, right? And so mm-hmm. effectively, you can have it as you just finished it. If you want to talk about your results without them seeing it at that moment, come set up a meeting. Frankly, when we gave this to advisors, we had, we had it where it always defaulted towards just showing it. Because when we first created it, we didn't know any better. And we said, yeah, sure, you know, have it. And then as we offered, as advisors started using it, they were like, uh, excuse me, can we have it so that they come in for the meeting beforehand? Like, we didn't even think about that. And we were like, oh, yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good not, idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And so we put that into our roadmap, number one with a bullet. But uh, yeah, and so the experience is they see it and, and that's it. And what they see is effectively uh, what their style is. and and. Well, you know, what, what, what's their preferable approach? Because one of the things I want to say is this is not like a rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. You know, as Wade was saying, as you were even saying, advisors, I think, get too cute by a half, saying that this, my strategy is the best and the, all other ones are no good, almost like the ring in Lord of the Rings, like one ring to rule them all, you know, kind of thing. I think that's a silly way of, of viewing the world. It, it, that's not how it works, the world or, or anything, really. And so there are a lot of viable strategies, right? And so we just aim to have that starting point for consideration. You always have to overlay the numbers. The advisor has to help you sort of curate through that journey, if you will. And you do that with numbers overlay, but at least you have that starting point. And that avoids the whole, hey, the strategy you're doing is just dependent on the door you walked in through and and what the advisor was proposing. We, We kind of take a step back and say, what strategy is the one you should begin with? And I think the output of the RISA sort of makes that clear from a, from a, hey, this is where you're landing. These are the strategies that, this is the main strategy that seems to fit your profile. Why don't you begin the, the journey from there? Excellent. And yeah, so it's a great starting point. And I will say the output I particularly like in particular, because you've really been succinct about this in that there's a couple of two by two matrices to kind of get people to understand where they fit on spectrums of different things. But then you will also break down this is where you sit on this like 
on the on the general range, right? So talk yeah. to me about these general like these breakdowns and and what it is you're showing them and what it is you're trying to get them to comprehend about themselves and the advisor to comprehend about that client. Most important, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean the uh, the output, the first and the highlight of the output is what we call the RISA matrix, and it, it just shows these two primary factors that we determine this idea of. Are you more probability-based, which means comfortable with market growth, or are you more safety-first? Are you seeking contractual protections for basic spending? That's one of the factors. And, and then the other factor is, are you more optionality-oriented, where you really focus on maintaining flexibility for all your assets? Or are you commitment-oriented? Are you comfortable committing to a strategy that you know will solve for your lifetime need and let you take that, take that off your to-do list? And so with these two factors on a matrix, we get four quadrants. In each of those four quadrants are one of the core retirement styles translating into a, a retirement strategy. The total return investing approach is more probability-based and optionality-oriented. The time segmentation or bucketing is safety-first and optionality-oriented. Income protection about building and protected lifetime income floors with usually fixed annuities. That's a safety-first and commitment orientation. And then risk graph is more that world of like a variable annuity with a living benefit where you have more potential for step-up opportunities and growth. That's a probability-based and commitment-oriented. And so you see which of those four styles resonates with the way you answer the questionnaire. And then specifically to help build that in the user's mind, we list some of the statements that they made effectively when they were answering the questions. They answer each questions on a sliding scale of how do you feel about these two contrasting statements? Mm -hmm. Are you lean more towards one or the other? And then we repeat some of what they emphasize that they lean towards to help explain this is how you answered the questions, which translates into this particular style, which then as the advisor you can use as that starting point. And if you only take the, the 12 core questions for the RISA, that would be the highlight of, of what you're seeing. There's four types of questions that can be asked. We, we also have secondary factors. Uh, those aren't necessary for most individuals, but if you're working with an engineer type client who really likes to dig into the weeds, you could give them the secondary factors to answer as well. There's the retirement concerns. How worried are you about longevity, about outliving your basic spending needs? How worried are you about lifestyle, about kind of the fear of missing out of not having the maximum possible lifestyle in retirement? How worried are you about legacy goals? And how worried are you about liquidity, which is just having reserves set aside for unexpected spending needs? And then there's for prospects, not for clients, but for prospects, that financial implementation matrix, which also can provide a sense of, are you looking for a more full-time type advisory relationship with the uh, collaborators or delegators? Are you more of a one-time type planner uh, looking for, you don't necessarily want an ongoing relationship with a financial professional, that'd be more the validator, or are you more of that do-it-yourself type investor who isn't necessarily going to work with a financial advisor? And, and from the advisor's perspective, it's useful to know that information as well, because you can more quickly get to those closed loss situations where this is a do-it-yourself person who's never going to <laughs> agree to an ongoing advisory relationship. And then there's just beyond that basic type educational content, a few statements about the particular style that you chose, that sort of thing. Excellent. I would add to that something that uh, maybe we should have said earlier is our aha moment was when we created the recent matrix. Again, it was done to profile individuals, right? In mm -hmm. terms of how they want to source retirement income. We didn't realize until after the fact that, wow, these categories also lead to 
strategies, like they lead to specific underlying strategies that you can drill down. Like the same Risa, it's, it's almost like Risa becomes bidirectional in that regard, in terms of it can profile people, but by the same ex, to the same extent, it can profile individual solutions because solutions are also guided by these factors. Mm-hmm. And you can get, you know, if you want to get to this later, that's fine. This is where we were talking about like longevity differences in different countries, what solutions are there. It's really just a matter of where they lie on that, on that spectrum of the RISA factor. Yeah, the other piece was in the implementation matrix. I think this is something that is below the, the, flies below the radar, but knowing if somebody before the meeting is a collaborator, is a delegator. You know, what we found in our studies is that there's a good 75% chance that they already have an advisor or they want to really engage with an advisor. And so then knowing that before, you know, you know their strategy and then you know what persona they are, avatar, uh, whatever word you want to use, you know the cadence of the meetings, you know, a lot better, especially for a prospect, which kind of gets to the meat of the sandwich a lot quicker, you know, from the standpoint of trying to develop rapport, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there, there are two. I mean, there are two very different things you're measuring here, but two very complementary aspects in terms of communication, right? So the first one with the recent matrix, what I really like about it is you're eliminating advisor bias and letting it be dictated. The conversation be dictated by client preference, right? And understanding the personality of that. And you know, you mentioned kind of you know this stuff around the world, which we'll get to. The reality is, is that that's not going to change, right? People either need safety or or they're willing to accept risk. And they are different degrees of willing to basically lock themselves into something. So it's a pretty static, I mean, a pretty universal approach, I would think, in terms of measuring those personalities and, and being able to firmly see, you know, myself looking at doing something like this, being able to firmly see, okay, that's how I approach this client. This is what will resonate with them. More often than not, conversations around annuities fall flat because people, I think too often, it's the quote unquote, the annuity puzzle in a lot of ways where people don't buy enough of them. It's you got to be pretty hard on that safety first committed quadrant in order to actually be willing to part with a check that size that's going to be meaningful. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And we do find that predictive power is there that the (laughs) further you lean in the direction of that safety first and commitment, the much more likely you are to already either own an annuity or to say that you were already had intentions to purchase an annuity at some point. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and then again, conversely, I think anyone who's outside of total, re- you know, I think anyone who's in a total return approach, I mean, anything else involves some sort of typical fist, like the cost benefit trade-off, right? So we're looking at some sort of increase in fee for some sort of benefit. And if you're out there and if you're out there with optionality and probability based, you're probably not interested in those things. So it yeah, will- and, yeah, it answers the annuity puzzle. It's some people are, they, they're comfortable relying on the market. They want as much optionality as they can. They don't want to make any sort of irreversible commitment. And also from those secondary factors, they have an accumulation mindset in retirement, which is just that they they are focused more on maximizing returns. They're not as worried about having a predictable income stream. So they are more open to variable spending. And when you have all those sorts of characteristics, you're really not interested in an annuity for lifetime income. And there, there is no annuity puzzle in that type of situation. Yeah, I, I would. An, an analog that, that works well is uh, I, I don't think there's an annuity puzzle in much the same way that there's no like government worker puzzle hmm. in the United States. Remember, we're, we're ultimately asking how they want to source retirement income. So they've, they've exhausted their human capital and they have an accumulated asset base that they're going to draw capital from. Right. So instead of their human capital, it's been transferred to investable capital, but now they need to source it. They need to use it to determine their income. Right. And here you you, you get the strategies. But when you're kind of working, it's the same question you're asking yourself, which is how do you want to source your human capital? 
right? And so you can get a government job, right? That's, let's say, fairly stable. It yep. maybe limits you on the upside, but you know what? You can live within a standard living that's very enjoyable for yourself. It gives you the safety, blah, you know, et cetera, right? <laughs> and so to some extent, why doesn't everyone do that? There's no, no one says, Hey, there's an IRS tax agent puzzle. Okay. Like I'm in Canada. We have a disproportionate public service. No, no, no. But it's, it's fine. The the point being that it's fine, you know, to each his own, right. There's nothing wrong. No one can say, Hey, Jason, you made a mistake choosing what you did for a living versus, well, maybe your parents, but (laughs) kidding. You know, Hey, uh, you know, Tommy, you made a mistake doing it. Yeah. No one says that because it's your own preferences. Right. And so there's two quick points here is what's the frequency distribution look like? And what you find is about 33% of the folks are out there about total return, have a total return preference. 33% have an income protection preference. And then 15% have about a, what's it called? A risk wrap strategy. And the other 15%, you know, it's plus or minus to equal 100%. The other 15% have a time segmentation preference. And we see this pretty consistent across different studies, replicated and so forth. That's kind of what you see. We also see that you want to ask yourself, because some of your listeners may be saying, is this, yeah, but you know, you get these risk tolerance questionnaires, things change over time, et cetera. So you're asking yourself really from a psychometric standpoint, is this a trait or a state, oh. a state of anger, a state of anxiety, the market's going down. Oh my goodness. I'm very anxious. Now I'm in it. You know, that kind of thing versus a trait. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. And yeah, they, and the fringes, Hey, when I'm in a party, I'm an extrovert, whatever. But for the most part, there's these stable traits, right? And what we see is that there's a strong stability in this profile. You don't see differences across age groups. So you see a pretty consistent distribution. Whereas a risk tolerance questioner, people will say, as you get older, you get more, less risk tolerant, et cetera. Or we've also done this right during the pandemic when it was in the throat, you know, apocalyptic versus after when there was a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing, test, retest, and there weren't differences among that same group. Obviously, you need to do this more and more and more, but we're we're getting a strong sense that this is a pretty consistent character trait, which is very important from the psychometric standpoint. Absolutely. It's uh, and your distribution, I find fascinating. I'm I, unfortunately, oh, yeah. I, uh, the distribution of advisor preference largely comes down to licensing standards. <laughs> right. Um, no, you're right. Which is unfortunate because that goes back to Wade's comment about the the end consumer doesn't realize that there's options available to themselves for different retirement income strategies. You know, there's many things you could do for a living, but when it comes to retirement income, they just assume this is the only way. And largely it's predicated on what door they walked through or what was the last ad that they saw. Yeah. Yeah. And any number of other factors from, I mean, how they grew up with money, the degree of financial burden they've seen throughout their lives. There's, there's a lot of it. I will also say that I, I really am appreciative of the fact that you do have an implementation preferences because again, every advisor wants to find a delegator, right? Like we all want the delegators. Just give me this stuff and let me do well, it. Collaborators and, are pretty cool too. Collaborators <laughs> are great. Like, collaborators <laughs> are great. You know, I think the reality is, is that knowing the type of person you're talking to right when the conversation even starts saves a lot of, a lot of trouble, right? Like if you're someone who's sitting in the self-directed zone firmly in that and they come to you for guidance, it's like, well, look, they're, they're not really coming to you for guidance. They're not they're coming, coming to me for guidance, you. right? Yeah, they're really not yeah. coming to you for guidance. Like, I don't, know, I don't really know why they're coming to me. Uh, and that's that's part of the conversation. It's like, listen, you want to do this yourself. Why are you talking to me, right? Or, you know, the validator section where it's like, look, okay, you want me to tell you you're doing the right thing, but, you know, this is, the, you're better, you know, if you're not a fee-only planner, maybe that's the best place to go is to have someone basically go there. So I, I do love the fact that you have that there as well, because it's not, it's the, 
what kind of person is this in terms of preference that I'm dealing with in terms of like retirement income preference? And then what is it in terms of, again, your implementation preference? You got them both, right? And, and the, the, the layering of both of those makes the conversation, I think, if we could actually, I would, I'd almost say like, now that I think about this, I wish I would just questionnaire everybody on implementation preference before, like as a prospect, that would make <laughs> life so much easier. <laughs> Right, Jason. Jason, we we this is where what we've learned in in McLean and all of that. And Wade is starting to use this language, you know, research. But if you heard him say "close loss" earlier, <laughs> that, that, I, I caught that. I think wait, I think that's the first time I ever heard you say that. <laughs> but but effectively, you, you'd have a strong argument that the best salespeople are the people that get to close loss the soonest. Yeah. And I can say this from experience: if you have somebody that's this self-directed person. Look, they think, you know, self-direct, the implementation matrix, very quick, is based on two factors. So we created a retirement income self-efficacy scale. Self-efficacy is not generalized confidence, but more localized specifically to retirement income. How confident are you that you can overcome your retirement income challenge? Very localized on that, right? Self-efficacy. And then we have advisor usefulness. How cost-effective do you think an advisor is? Listen, mm-hmm. we, we, we know Dave Blanchett very well and the advisor studies and all of that. But if I'm an advisor and I'm giving that to a prospect, it looks like just sales material. You know, hey, look how good I am. Here's a paper. No one's going to buy that. You know, know, no one buys that kind of thing. It's a very good study. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good study. And yes, it's true. But nonetheless, no one's going to buy it. It's also true depending on the starting point, right? Like this is... Like it is, um, there are a few things that in research that frustrate me more than trying to break an advisor's value down to a percentage basis per year. Cause it's like, yeah, 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 now I we're just you. trying to rationalize fees people. Okay. Like uh, we all okay. know that, that's a, that's a actually a very fair statement. Yeah. But uh, so what we just wanted to get at is let's just get right to the joke. Are yeah. advisors cost-effective? Do you think an advisor is cost-effective? Forget what I think. Yeah. Let me hear what you think kind of thing. Right. And so there we create a matrix, right? If you think an advisor is very effective and you feel you're high in self-efficacy, collaborator. They want to work within a team approach. They're a part of that team, right? If you mm-hmm. think an advisor is effective, cost-effective, but you don't feel confident in yourself in doing this retirement income challenge, that could be competent. That could be just, I don't like numbers. Or that could also be, hey, look, I'm retired. I want to outsource this. And I know I'm not going to give it the effort that's needed. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those are delegators. The validator is somebody that doesn't feel confident but I mean, the self-efficacy in, in terms of retirement income, but also doesn't feel the advisor's worth the cost over the long term. That's mm-hmm. somebody that just asks you questions, never becomes a client yeah. and goes, or that could be a one-time plan thing, you know, which is perfect. Self-directed, run. Not run, but you know what I mean? They're, they're, These people yeah, think they're, I also they're, think it's not binary, right? Like, I think it's, where are they on that spectrum, right? Maybe they're just over the cusp, right? In which case, maybe there's a conversation true. to be had. But yeah, if you're if you're deep in that corner... <laughs> Yeah. Why are you even calling me? I don't understand. (laughs) Well, some people have, this is their hobby. Yeah. And so they kind of like to like, I don't know. Let me just leave it at that. This is their hobby. But this is why we started retirement research or the membership site. Because we created funnels then. If you're a collaborator and delegator, we're happy to send you to McLean. If you were a validator, we didn't have an offering that was just planning. So we created this just for this group. And it's worked well. If you are self-directed, we had nothing. We were just vaya con Dios kind of thing. But effectively, we created the membership site so they can knock themselves out in terms of learning as much as possible for themselves. It kind of worked well like that. But we don't try to pitch them into McLean because they're not going to be happy and we're not going to be happy. No, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I mean, it's, um, you know, that's one of the things that people always like around content marketing that always kind of drives people nuts. It's like, well, I'm just giving everything away. I'm like, yes, that's the point. And guess what? They're going to self-select into, you know what? This is the person I need to work with, or this is the, I'm just going to take their stuff and go. But you know what? So what, right? It's it's about the the first group. Exactly. Giving them value. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, I, I love this because it's about, it's about framing the conversation in the right direction, respecting who the individual across the table is from you. And you know what? We do that to some, we do that on some degree with risk tolerance questionnaires, but around one specific paradigm, right? Not around, not around other aspects of the relationship, which, you know, you've covered two other ones very effectively here. So this is, this is where you are today. Where do you see this going forward? <laughs> we just had an advisory board meeting on Monday. Well, we laid out, hey, look, this is the the art of the possible, if you will. Effectively, we have a few institutional relationships already in the the can. We're working directly with Orion. We're working with DPL. We've done stuff with PacLife, and we have a, a nice number of institutions that are in queue right now. And we've done a few beta launches with independent RIAs just to begin to test out the product, see how it goes, how we can chisel it, and it's been very successful. But where we're going with this is we're taking it to the next immediate one is we're taking it to the next step, especially with DPL, in terms of not only can we identify, okay, this is your profile, this is how you want to source retirement income, and this is a strategy. But again, we can we can take it to the product level where every product could also be profiled based on these factors. And so with with DPL, what we're going to be releasing is effectively, all right, this is your strategy. Let's filter this among the potential solution shelf that DPL has. And we can get like the best fit three. Here, these three solutions fit this person very well. Why don't you begin to analyze it from here? So in in a sense, what we can start creating is a marketplace, if you will, off of the RISA, which gets very, very interesting on, on a couple of levels. That's the first, I mean, there's a couple of other things we're really trying out simply because it's it's there for the, it's it's just a natural extension. But yeah. that's the next one that's, you know, we're already starting to have a build out for. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You're just going further down the funnel, right? Like at the end exactly. of the day, telling me what to do is one thing. Doing it for me is something else. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Exactly. Wait. Yeah. I, I just had too that I really view this as ideally the, the first step of retirement planning. And also it's not a risk tolerance questionnaire and it's not a replacement for a risk tolerance questionnaire either. Risk tolerance questionnaires really are designed for accumulation. It's just, it's assuming modern portfolio theory, which is there's no liability that you're trying to fund. It's just an assets only growth model. So every strategy will include an investment portfolio. But for a long time, I've talked about kind of with retirement income, one of the last steps in the process is choosing the asset allocation. It's not the first step. First, you really need to define how are you going to approach retirement income? Because I mean, the whole story of, if you have more annuity, and Moshe Molesky in Canada is one of the people who really developed this idea, the more guaranteed income you have, the more risk capacity you have, the more aggressively you can invest with your other assets. So you really don't go, you don't get to that risk tolerance question until later in the process. So it's the first step of retirement income planning is identify your retirement style and then build your financial plan and then take your risk tolerance questionnaire and choose your asset allocation and so forth. But it's really a complement that can help facilitate that entire process. That that's ultimately how I view the RISA. Yeah, and I would largely agree with that perspective. I mean, I mean, I tend to agree with you and Moshe all the time. But the reality is, is that you know, I think too often, especially in the accumulation phase, we fail to understand that the reason we're able to kind of just focus on the risk side as the priority there 
is because of the security of the income side and their career and their human capital, right? Once that is gone and eroded, then the entire value matrix kind of kind of flips, right? It's where's the security first, the covered pensions, everything else, and what do we build from beyond that? So it makes a lot of sense. Question for you. This was a timely, a little bit timely. I know that there's currently discussions that there was um, there's current efforts going on about how all retirement accounts in the U.S. are at some point in the near future going to have some sort of estimated income amount on the statements, right? This is already in the case in the UK and I think uh, Mexico as well, as well as a couple other countries. Do you think that that's going to have any kind of like, impact on how people perceive the entire, like the entire just based, what's the quadrant, the entire total return approach quadrant? Uh, it could have a factor just because total returns, it does, it has that accumulation mindset where you really still are focused on wealth accumulation. Yeah. And we know from the different studies that are out there that people have a very hard tra time translating a, a lump sum amount into an ongoing sustainable income. And a lot of times people may feel they're quite wealthy if they have, say, $100,000. But then if you apply a 4% rule to that, they, they thought they were rich. And now they say, oh, that means I can spend $4,000 a year. So certainly just framing the uh, investment account as a potential sustainable spending stream it is probably going to be a, a big realization for a lot of people that, that there is something different going on here and they need to think about it differently. And so, yeah, I, I think some people who might have naturally gravitated towards total returns, even though that wasn't necessarily their style, maybe a wake up call that, oh, they, they may really not necessarily be total returns. Yeah. Agreed. And I think it's a lot easier for people to frame their retirement around the concept of income than it is around a lump sum. And But I will say, I certainly hope we don't they don't end up settling on the 4% rule as being the metric for how they calculate that income. <laughs> no, I don't no. think we just said that more for sure. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's I know. A, that's an ongoing debate, though, whether you use an annuity, kind of a commercial annuity payout rate, or whether you yep. it is something as simple as the 4% rule. I think they can't come to any sort of agreement in the U.S., and that's what slows that process down as well. I mean, I get it. At some level, it's, you know, you take the complete safety first approach, again, the income protection approach, which could have people basically curtail their lifestyle expenditure beyond the point that they would necessarily have to in a different approach. But again, I don't know. I'm more of a safety first guy in that, like, and say, okay, worst case scenario is I die with too much money versus I run out. I know which probability I want to be on, what side <laughs> of the probability I want to be on. Excellent. Well, I mean, so, to the degree that you cover your essential expenses, though, then you can maybe, you know, stretch your, stretch your legs a little bit. And we've talked about this off air before, but I mean, there's a real good opportunity to basically deploy what you've built here around the world, right? I mean, I think you've architected this very, I mean, your Canadian development team architected this to be multi-jurisdictional. So the, it's, it's interesting. So I think, do you, have, do you foresee any kind of issues trying to apply uh, this framework to other longevity products around the world that may exist, that don't exist in the US currently? No, I mean, largely what you find is that the same characteristics if, if you can map it on a spectrum that has to do with probability-based safety first and optionality and commitment orientation, which you find you can, you can pretty much map everything on it. it. It's a profiling system. This is, again, this was an aha moment that we had, but there is this sort of style box, if you will, component to this. I mean, we, we get asked all the time about rental income. Where would rental income fit in the mix? Yeah. Or where would insurance, you know, whole life, just depending on, on how you use it. But I'll use rental income as an example. Rental income is effectively, for us, it would be almost in the probability optionality with a little bit of uh, safety first, because there's a little bit of contractual income, but mm -hmm. who's backing that contract? Well, there's risk in that. So it's you so can funny. kind of visualize where it would lie in the in the matrix. So it's the same thing with 
with any international products, it's just really getting a handle on these two factors and where it would lie in. Wade? Yeah, I mean, we haven't tested it internationally, but I, I think one of the unique characteristics of the U.S. is that there is so much focus on people investing for their own retirements. And a lot of other countries still have a, a stronger social safety net, stronger pension systems and so forth, and aren't necessarily invested in the stock market to fund their retirements in a manner that it may lead to a different distribution. There may be more of just a, a natural tendency, or at least a natural tendency to have their basics covered so that they do have, it's really the discretionary spending piece that they're looking but, to see how to could fund. Product, could international products be mapped on the recent map? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, in terms of the characteristics of financial products, that would definitely be the case. Well, I mean, that you have to nice and simple. And it's, it's pretty easy to fit them in a two by two matrix. It's a matter yeah, of exactly. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody on a positive note. And the first one is, if you had one wish for something to change in your company, or Risa specifically, or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I'd, I'd say that kind of the pushback we get is so many advisors are wedded to one particular approach. And I've been trying to argue for years that an integrated strategy that in, can incorporate the best of risk pooling and insurance with investments and market growth yep. is going to lay the foundation for the best retirement outcomes. And I, I wish financial advisors, <laughs> the ones who, that there is movement towards greater yep. understanding of that concept. But there are still many, many financial advisors who are wedded to one particular approach to a, to a degree that they say anyone who does something different has a conflict of interest and so forth. And I'd like to see that sort of integrated approach become more widespread. Agreed. Agreed. Alex, yourself? No, I, I, I you know, maybe wait. <laughs> I led the witness, if you will. But I, I would say, yeah, very similar. I, I think I think the take a page out of the scientific method. I, I think there needs to be an agnostic entry point on the strategies. I think when you come at it with my strategy is better than the other, no matter what, because this Excel says so, I think that's misguided. And you know, you can even say it's probably wrong if you really drill down. And so the, the recognition that it's not about what you think, it's about what the client thinks and how they want to get there. And your job as an advisor, you know, take that hero's journey, if you will, is to guide them towards that endpoint. Mm -hmm. That's how it should be. Absolutely. I mean, we spend a lot of time these days talking about understanding client biases, but unfortunately, advisor biases still dominate yeah. the practices. And it, it reminds me of the paper on the like the the misguided beliefs of financial advisors. And all that paper really showed was that advisors did for themselves what they thought was right, and they did the same thing for the clients, and yeah, whether it was right exactly. or wrong. Right. So, agreed. It's it's more so of a consult a consulting approach than it is a dictatorial approach. If that is the way we should be heading. Second question for you has been, what's been the biggest challenge in getting uh, reset to where it is today? It's, I think the biggest challenge is the, I said this phrase earlier, but it's the art of the possible. I think we, we sort of surface a framework. It's always been there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, no one, we didn't discover anything or anything like that. We just surfaced something that was underwater and we, we just kind of made it more objective, right? And so to me, the biggest hurdle is, is really containing ourselves. Because there's a lot of things that can be done with this. When you asked me, you know, what, what do you want to do in the future? There, there's actually quite a number of things that this opens up the possibility to. But the challenge is just staying focused and, and just chiseling away slowly and slowly and slowly and making sure that what we're doing from a business standpoint, the product market fit is right, that we're testing hypotheses along the way, and we're slowly going down the manner that that is disciplined. I, I think that's the biggest issue. The, the RISA itself and talking to advisors about it or talking to institutions, it sells itself. 
from a from a pure sales or convincing, it's a very obvious thing. Then people we talk to them about it, and they're like, you know what, you're right. It, it's that kind of thing consistently. It, I'm not saying it's it's just consistent. And so the issue becomes maintain discipline and slowly but surely just execute. That that really to me is is the issue. It's it's almost like we're very fortunate to have stumbled upon this right now because a lot of things are are coming in the crossroads of this. Wait. But yeah, just to say something a bit different, maybe I still struggle with the the sales idea of it, of I can do a whole presentation on just the educational research content behind the RISA. And then I struggle with how to express. And actually, <laughs> there is a, a product behind this. Advisors are able to use this and, and making that transition from the kind of traditional non-commercial research presentation into the here's a tool that is commercially available. I still struggle with <laughs> I, yeah, I get it. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to undermine the first message for the second. I, I totally understand <laughs> that. So final question I have for you is um, basically what, uh, what excites you about what are you working on and keeps you getting up in the morning and keep on fighting the, the good fight and pushing this thing forward? It, well, it kind of maybe leads back to my first answer about how I really do believe in this idea of there are different in, integrated strategies. So pulling the best of different approaches and finding what's best for each person really will create better financial planning outcomes for individuals. And so having a framework to actually do that and not having to, I mean, having a clear answer of how can we help people find the right approach, that, that's what excites me and getting that, that message out there as much as possible. Excellent. And Alex? Same thing. I, I Honestly, it's making sure that the researchers has that starting point for all retirement plans. Because I think when you start at the right place, the outcomes end up being better. And that has a knock-on effect that if everyone is in a plan that they resonate with and they feel confident with, as an advisor, you know this, they can just be more impactful in their life and not just self-actualization impactful, like I'm, I'm living a better life, but they impact other people as a result of that. And so it's sort of, there's a pay it forward quality to all of that. And so, yeah, yeah right. if we can get the starting point right, which people just kind of overstep. They, they don't even think about it. If we can get that starting point right. That, that is extremely impactful. And if at the end of my life, we've done something to move the needle in that regard, I, I think that's a, a fight worth fighting. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you use the term self-actualization. It's true. I mean, like if you're not, if you're still worried about the lower thresholds of Mansell's hierarchy of needs, you're not going to get there. And, you know, this, this helps deal with that, especially for those who need it, the security aspects. So I totally see where you guys are coming from. Gentlemen, I'll say this uh, well done. And thank you for taking the time to speak today. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, thank thank you. you, Jason. It was a pleasure. So that was my interview with uh, Wade and Alex. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you are interested in what they're doing, please check it out at Risa Profile. That's risaprofile.com, R-I-S-A. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or other your podcasts. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.